righty. What's up, guys? How you doing? You guys have Bibles, notebook, paper? All right, as you guys find your seat, uh, we're going to be back in our series through 2 Timothy. Uh, the title of our whole series, if you can remember, is Keep On, right? That encouragement from Paul to keep on going. And today we're going to actually finish off the second chapter. Uh, so we're going to be in uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. And the title of the message today is Fit for the Master. Fit for the Master. Now, I got to confess to you guys, I am not the most um, handy guy, uh, meaning I, 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 can, I can make my, you know, I can get by with tools and things like that, uh, but it is certainly not my forte. And I remember uh, when getting married, uh, I got married and, and shortly after, uh, my car battery died. And uh, luckily we were at our apartment complex when that happened. But, uh, you know, at the time we, we were a little bit younger, we've been married for uh, now we've been married for about five years, me and my wife. Uh, but at that point, a little bit newer, not a whole lot of money. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I'll change it myself. Never had to do that, but uh, it can't be that hard, right? It's just take the battery out, put the new one in. And so I went to uh, Costco, uh, cheaper than some other places, got the battery, came back, and I was, you know, it's going to be simple. Just take out a couple, couple bolts and get, get a, you guys know what a socket wrench is? This, this is a socket wrench, right? You got the sockets. And so really, there was just four different spots, I remember, that it took and, and to, to get it out. Now, um, after a while, I realized I did not have the right tool. And after uh, some time, I started feeling like a little bit of a dummy that, you know, I was trying to get it out, but I just couldn't find the right socket to be able to get it out. And so uh, rather than it being simple, it took a lot longer than it happened. You see, it was simply because I didn't have the right tool for the job. It wasn't the right fit. That I was the, I was the guy, I was acting as a mechanic, and uh, it, it didn't work. And using the wrong tool made that task so much more difficult. I had to try to use strength when you just needed to have the right fit, uh, and it would have made all the difference. Now, I share this story with you. Uh, as an introduction, because scripture, the Bible, tells us that you and I are instruments in God's hands, meaning God desires to do things in this world. Uh, his number one goal is to bring men and women, boys and girls who do not believe in him and are on the pathway away from him, and to bring them to the knowledge of what Jesus did on the cross. And you and I, he chooses to use us as instruments. And what we're going to see today, though, as the title is Fit for the Master, there is one thing that in our life we can disqualify ourselves from being used by God. There's something that we can live in that would make us unfit for the work. And it doesn't have to do with height. You don't have to, you know, God's like, oh, you're short. Sorry, I can't use you. Or uh, you're too tall, sorry, no, only, only people under six foot, I'd be disqualified, right? Or, or it doesn't have to do with your ability to be passionate about what you believe in. It doesn't have to do with your intelligence, talents, or abilities. Uh, we're going to find out what that one thing is as we read our text today. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 through 26. We'll read it and then we'll pray, all right? You guys have your Bibles open in front of you? If you do not, and your neighbor does, then uh, you guys are going to be buddies today, and you're going to read off of theirs. But hopefully you have your own Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says this, 
But in a great house, there were not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Verse 22, flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. Verse 24, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. God, we come before you uh, this afternoon, and Father, we pray as we look at your word that you would bring us understanding. We look to you to speak to our hearts today, and, and so Lord, we pray that you would anoint this time, that it would be your Holy Spirit that would be in this room moving about the hearts uh, of us, that we would be open to you and not hard. And so Lord, we uh, pray that we would be able to hear that still, small voice. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So uh, these, this is our text, okay? Verses 20 through 26, fit for the master. Now, what we find here in, in the first two verses, and going to be our first point today, we find a picture to see. There is an illustration that he opens up this section with, uh, and there are a few different components to uh, this illustration. Look back at verse 20 and see if you can think through some of the parts of the picture. He's using an illustration to communicate a spiritual truth. And he says, verse 20, we just read it a moment ago, but in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, I want to share with you that in this picture that he is creating, there are four parts, okay? There are four parts to this picture. Now, in our verses 20 and 21 for today, uh, we only see the bottom three, the great house, the vessels, a vessel, think about it, it is a container, okay? Containers. Uh, and then, of course, the master. But last week, where we left off, we left off with that solid foundation of God. And I believe that's actually the first component that any house, any building, any structure has to have a foundation. And the picture here for us is that our foundation, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, is that our foundation is Jesus Christ and his word. So that's the foundation. That's the first part. And on that foundation, we find in verse 20, look back at verse 20 in your Bibles, right? The first a few words, but in a great house. Not that there actually is this like secret house that we have to travel to, right? But this great house represents to us the church. I mean, not the church building, though it's talking about a building, but actually the church as a collective group of people. And then we find in this house, this picture, that there are vessels, okay? And we don't really, that's not a term that we use 
a, a, a term that might help you understand is the word container. In a house, there are certain containers, right? Can you think about your house? Think about that. There's certain things that this word vessel, it literally means to contain liquid. Aren't there certain things in your house that contain liquid? Whether it's all the way from like a nice, nice, co- you know, your dad's favorite coffee cup to a, to a bowl to a plastic bowl that your dog uses, to uh, a, a toilet is technically a container, right? A vessel uh, that, that is able to contain liquid. Okay. There are different vessels in your house. Yes, containers, that makes sense? Well, in this illustration, the vessels represent believers, individual believers like you and like me. The fourth uh, component part to this picture, this illustration, is the master. And of course, the master is represented as God himself. All right, do you guys got that? Now we're gonna look into this. And I'm gonna explain what, well, what are we trying to see here? Why, why does he use this picture for us to be, be able to understand? Well, let's, let's, let's roll with it a little bit. Look back at verse 20. He says, there's a great house. And he says, in this house, there are vessels. There are vessels of honor and then there are vessels of dishonor. So I want you to note down that within these containers, God says that in right here through Paul, that in God's house, in a sense, okay, with the foundation being Jesus, the church as a whole, that there are different vessels, meaning there are different types of believers. They're different vessels. And he uses, he, he separates them into two categories, honorable ones and dishonorable ones. And think about your own home. Don't you have different containers for different things, like I mentioned? Right, you have, you have some things, containers, some dishes, if you will, that, uh, you know, maybe you had when you were younger, uh, when you were given a little cup when you were younger, and so you just kept that cup, and you have it in the, in the cupboard, and it's all chewed up, it's all, it's all old and plastic, right? You're not gonna use that for your Thanksgiving dinner, right? You're gonna use like a nice, nice like goblet or something, right? Uh, that to pour your, your apple cider in. And there's different things that have different purposes. You're not gonna use the dog's bowl for your cereal bowl, right? You're not gonna do that. There's, there's dishes, vessels, containers of honor and containers of dishonor. Does that make sense? That's all we need to know at this point. And the Bible says that you and I, we are vessels in God's house. Some of us, listen, some of us are considered honorable vessels and some are consider, considered dishonorable vessels. Now we're gonna find out in a moment though that the only vessels that God uses are the honorable ones. He does not use dishonorable ones. Well, what makes a vessel that of honor or dishonor. We'll look at verse 21 in your Bibles. Look at verse 21. It says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, talking about the dishonorable things, he will be a vessel of honor. So what we find out here that is to be a vessel of honor, that you have to be a clean vessel. All right. I want to share with you two things that we find in verse 21. There's two things we learn about this picture. The master, which is represented as God, he desires to use vessels for his work. He wants to do that. He desires to do that. And the second thing that the master though will not use an unclean vessel. 
And remember, we, we started talking about the tools in the beginning. And I shared with you, right, that God does not need us to be his instruments. Meaning, couldn't God use angels to do his work in this world? The Bible describes that at times God even used animals. He used a donkey to speak. God could use a lot of different things, but God has chosen his primary choice to do his work on this earth is to use you. He's chosen that. Now he invites us as these vessels, containers, meaning you and I, the Bible says that we contain the Holy Spirit in us. The Bible says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit, which means you and I are a vessel that God has filled. And God desires to use us as this vessel, as his way to accomplish his work in this world, which remember I told you, is ultimately bringing men and women and boys and girls to the knowledge of Jesus Christ. But there is one thing that he says, I want to use you, but if you're unclean, I will not use you. I cannot use you. You're then a vessel of dishonor. Now, this idea of, of cleansing, do you guys see that in verse 21? Where cle- where it says, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself, that idea of cleansing is to clean out entirely. It is to get rid of everything. Now, who likes to clean? Raise your hand. If you're like, man, I'm just all about, I love the clean days. I love when things are nice. Okay, who likes when things are clean, but doesn't like to clean? Raise your hand. All right, who just like doesn't like to clean and doesn't even like when things are clean? Okay, some, some of you. There's always one. Okay, one weirdo, but that's okay. Um, you know, there's something though, isn't there something about purging out your stuff? Sometimes the process is a little bit like, oh my gosh. I know for me, sometimes I'll get into these moods where I just want something clean and organized thoroughly. Like, do you guys ever go into your fridge sometimes and you're like, I can't even find anything. All I wanted was string cheese and it, I, it's, it's piled under last week's leftovers and that salad dressing. We bought that four years ago. Do you guys ever experience that? Sometimes I'll just get it. I'll be, I'll be looking for something. I'm hungry, but then I'm like, no, this is it. And I take out everything from the fridge, every bottle, everything. I wipe it down, clean it out, reorganize it. Oh, and there's, there's that. Isn't there's that satisfaction after though, where it's like, oh man, now you guys might think I'm a freak. But maybe maybe it's something, maybe it's your room, right? Your room is just so dirty for weeks on end. And then you take a moment where you just clean it out. And it's just like, oh, this is nice, right? This idea of cleansing in our life is something to be done thoroughly. Um, have you guys ever seen that uh, Netflix show that was popular a little while ago, The Tidying Up with Marie Kondo? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, or maybe you've seen the, the show Hoarders? Ever seen the show Hoarders? Man, some people, and you just want to go. You're like, I'll get it. Invite me over. I'll get a dumpster. And then you see their, and then you see their house and you see the dead cats and the nastiness. And okay, you, you have to look at it on your own. But listen, people, there's something about us as humans that we just, we collect things uh, and things compile. We, we shove things under the rug. We shove things in the closet. But the Bible says that, Anyone that cleanses himself then will be, according to verse 21, this vessel of honor, being able to be used by God. Listen, what's not being talked about here in this self-cleansing, okay, we're not talking about a shower. uh, We're not talking about anything physical like we just talked about. 
we're talking about a, a spiritual and moral cleanse. Now, ultimately, according to the Bible, that is the work that is reserved for Jesus. Meaning that when you receive Jesus in your life, all of your sin, past, present, and future, is cleansed, that the red in your life is now turned to white by the blood of Jesus. It's cleansed. Uh, thoroughly purged, as the Bible describes. You will not be punished for your sin if you are in Christ, in Jesus, a Christian. But that doesn't mean now you're perfect, right? If someone gets saved, they're like, oh, I just came to Jesus. It doesn't mean that they're never going to sin again. It just means they're never gonna pay the punishment for that sin. But as Christians, we seek to live what the Bible calls a holy life, right? Everyone say holy. Holy, holy is to be pure, set apart. God says he is holy and we as Christians are to be holy in our conduct. But can you not relate with the fact that sometimes you do something that's unholy, right? Though you're a Christian, you wanna please God. There are times when you mess up, you still sin. And the Bible says that even as a Christian, there can be sin in our life. And this is what distinguishes the vessels of honor and dishonor. That some live their life as a vessel of dishonor and they are put on, and God puts them on the shelf because though he has cleansed them, right? What's being talked about here, you want to even be a vessel in the master's house unless you experience God's cleansing. But you can disqualify yourself because of the way that you live from God's using. Do you see the difference? You're in God's house, but you're on the shelf. You're on, in a sense, God's team, but you're benched. And the Bible says that the one difference is not because uh, of anything else other than the willingness to be cleansed by him. First John 1 John 1.9, I want you to note it down. First John 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, this is huge, Okay. If you want to walk with Jesus for any amount of time in your life, meaning you don't want it to just be a church thing while you're young, but you want to, you want to go long, you want to hit the long haul with Jesus, you want to be an 80-year-old still walking with Jesus, I remember in youth group and now I'm 80. If you want to walk with Jesus, this verse, listen, is going to be necessary for your life. You need to memorize it. You need to memorize it. And you need to understand the concept that you are still going to sin. Sinning doesn't make you the dishonorable vessel. It's undealt with sin that makes you the dishonorable vessel that God says I can't use. Listen, even, even as a pastor, yes, I still sin. I say things that I shouldn't have. I think things that I ought not to. Yet the difference with a, what a, what a, um, a Christian who's pursuing God, desiring to follow him, and a Christian who's a dishonorable vessel is that one, when they sin, they immediately put this verse into practice. That there is this quick repentance where, oh my gosh, I, I, God, I did this. I, God, I did that. And there's this quick prayer that's, God, I, I confess this. Lord, would you cleanse me? And how good is God? That at any point, at any time, and it could be even right now that you have this thought, you do something that's sinful, that God says, you can come to me anytime. And if you ask for forgiveness, it's already, right, the punishment's already taken care of, but you, you need cleansing. 
And God says, if you confess and you say, I, I was wrong in that. God says, immediately, I'll come into your life. I will forgive you. We're good, meaning your relationship with God is restored. And then he will begin to cleanse you and work in your life. But listen, I, I see a lot of believers. I see a lot of Christians that they don't live this. And so they're on the sidelines. They're on the bench. And know what I'm talking, when I'm talking about being used by God, I'm actually not talking at all. It's a part of, I'm not talking about serving at church. I'm not just talking about, oh, being an usher or uh, serving in children's ministry or even serving in, and even the youth leaders that are in here. Um, I'm not talking about that. I'm actually talking about the, the bigger scheme of things, how God desires to use you in the lives of others, which we are going to get into as this message progresses. But God says this right here. Look, at, look back at verse 21, that if you are willing to cleanse yourself, a continual confession, that is not perfection, but it is confession that God requires. You guys hear me? It's not perfection. You don't have to be perfect but you do have to live a life of continual confession so that God can do a continual cleansing. Does that make sense? And as a result of that, verse 21 says that you and I will then be a vessel for honor. Look at your Bibles. And we'll then be three things as this vessel of honor. Sanctified, useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. I love this idea that you and I first, well then, if we, if we live that life of continual confession, let God do that continual cleansing, then we will be sanctified. What, what does that mean? That's a, that's a big church word. Yes, it is. Uh, but it means to be dedicated and set apart for a purpose. Meaning God will begin to dedicate you for a specific purpose in your life. I know growing up, for me, my dad, uh, he he worked in uh, air conditioning. He would go and uh, work on uh, commercial air conditioners and, and things. And then as he, uh, you know, got older, then he did sales. And, but I remember being young and he was still in the field at the time and he had his own tools. I remember he, he didn't mind me, you know, uh, if I needed to use a tool or whatever. Um, you know, there were some tools that I knew I could use. Uh, but then there were tools uh, that I knew were his work tools that were in his, in his car, in his vehicle. And I wasn't, those were dedicated, those were sanctified for a specific purpose. Does that make sense? And God says, I want to sanctify, I want to set you apart, and I want you to not only be dedicated to a purpose, but I want you to be useful. And that's the second thing, useful. And that's where we get our message today, fit for the master's use, fit for his use, being useful. It is to be helpful and beneficial. You know, I, I opened with that story. Look, listen, using the wrong tool can be a frustrating thing. And be like, man, it just doesn't fit. You know, imagine trying to eat soup with a fork. It's just not going to work very well. You're going to get some chunks, but you know, it's not going to work. And listen, you can serve God being a dishonorable vessel. You just won't get very far. It'll be a lot of surface level stuff with no lasting fruit. There's no power in it. God says, I won't, I won't empower someone who, who tries to serve me with an unholy life. That holiness is required, is the, the expectation for a life desiring to be used by God. Remember, that's not perfection. Holiness is, for you and I as Christians who still mess up in sin, it is to be a pursuit. Uh, we won't attain that holiness, that perfection, uh, until we see Jesus 
face to face. And the third thing is prepared, that we will be ready. Rather than being dusty on the shelf, we will be used for good things. And so this whole picture that God is creating through the Apostle Paul here is to tell us that, listen, everyone look at me. God desires to use you. And the reason, listen, the reason there is breath in your lungs, everyone go, Okay, listen, the reason that is, isn't just so you can even enjoy your life. It isn't just so you can go to school. It isn't just so you can exist, that God has a bigger purpose in your life. And the reason you were created is for his glory, is to serve him. And so when you are a vessel who is cleansed and a continual confession, then, and God then begins to use you, you are fulfilling the very purpose and reason that you exist. A lot of people right now are struggling with their very existence. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Your purpose will ultimately, is, is ultimately found and fulfilled in your dedication. You're giving your life to Jesus to be used uh, for his purposes. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right. Second thing that we're looking at today is not just the picture to see, uh, but I want to share with you the practical to do, right? How, how do you live this out? Let's say today you say, yep, Joel, I want to be that vessel of honor. I want to be sanctified and useful and prepared for God's work. I, I don't want to be on the bench. I don't want to be on the shelf. I know that this is what God, I, I, I sense the Holy Spirit drawing me. Well, then th let's give some, some practicalness to this. Okay, Paul doesn't stop there. He kind of moves on now from that illustration, that picture of the great house and the vessel and the master. And he moves on into uh, a couple of different things. Look at your Bibles. Look at verse 22. It says this, flee also youthful lusts. But pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. So what we see in these next two verses, okay, is an expansion and an explanation of what he just talked about. He's talking about cleansing. He's talking about being used. And now what he gets into is what that really looks like to be a vessel of honor. Okay, the first thing I want you to note down in this practical to do, what are we to do? Two things. Number one, flee. Everyone say flee. flee. Okay, this idea of flee to, is to run away, is to want to run away from something as quickly as you can. It is to stay away from something deliberately. Um, I don't know about you, but... Uh, experiencing getting chased by a dog is a terrifying reality. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Raise your hand if you've ever got chased by a dog, like legitimately chased, terrifying, running for your life, all that kind of stuff. So um, it, it's, it's honestly happened to me a couple different times. The most scary I remember when I fled from a dog, I remember I was in high school. We had a park right down the street from my house. Uh, and I wanted to go play basketball, so I got my basketball in hand, got my gym bag, and, uh, you know, walked out of my house, and on my lawn was a pit bull, okay? And this wasn't like, oh, some of you are like, oh, pit bulls, I have one at home, and they're so, okay, we can talk about that later. Um, this pit bull was not your, your cute Instagram pit bull, okay? This, this thing was literally buff, okay? It, it, 
This, I don't understand how dogs can have muscles, um, but I'm pretty sure it could lift more than me. Um, and it was just, it was, it was not okay. So I walk out and the dog's there and no joke, this dog flexed at me, okay? It wasn't just like, like at first, I mean, then he starts barking, but at first, I mean, he's like this and he's like this, okay? I mean, it was like, it, it was significant and the change in his, it was not okay. And so in that moment, and, and I kind of stopped, I'm like shocked. And then the dog, you know, uh, then, then, then it wasn't good. He, he chased after me and I, you know, I threw my stuff, ran back in the house and I got, I was safe. I didn't get bit, nothing. Um, but that was insane. But in that, I fled, okay? I wasn't like, hey, doggy, like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's negotiate. And no, no, you don't negotiate with pit bulls, okay? Um, and, I, and I ran away. I wasn't around it. Um, and this is that word. It is to flee. Everyone say again, flee. Now, what are we to run away from? The Bible says, verse 22, to flee youthful lusts, youthful lusts. And this can be a variety of different things, but because you are a youth, this is youth ministry, uh, that should perk up your ears, okay? You should be like, wait, what? What are these uh, youthful lusts? Well, they're youthful, meaning that people specifically, what's being talked about here is what people in their youth, that's you, begin to experience at a heightened sense, okay? It doesn't say, you know, flee, uh, you know, old people lusts. It doesn't say flee uh, baby lusts, okay? It says flee youthful lusts. I mean, there's something about even the age that you are in that the Bible speaks about. Because, and I can tell you from experience, okay? I was a youth. I was in your place. Uh, I, I didn't sit in these chairs, but I sat in this in, in this building on this church campus, and youthful lust. Uh, that, that word lust, if you're not familiar, it's the idea of, a, of an, an intense desire. Um, it's all, always associated with something evil and sinful. And so I think this can be a variety of things. Um, the first thing that pops into mind um, is a story uh, of Joseph and Potiphar's wife when Joseph had to flee sexual temptation. I think that's a youthful lust. It's not that that's an older person thing, uh, but no doubt that starts around your guys' age where interest peaks and all kinds of different things. And the Bible says that you are to run away from youthful lust. But on, not only, I, I believe, it's not just in the sexual temptation and, and morality, uh, but it's also impatience. It could be impatience where, uh, you know, maybe you experience a heightened sense of uh, impatience or stubbornness, but it is through these things that you and I are to run away from. Now, I think it's varying. It's different. Like there's some things that might be your temptation, lust, things that, that your sinful desire is attracted to, whatever that might be. And the Bible says that, that there's a variety of temptation. And not everyone is tempted with the same thing, but there's no one tempted with something that no one else is tempted. It's common to man. But the Bible says that, that we are to run away. 1 Corinthians 10 talks about that no temptation is common to man that, that has overtaken someone, but with each temptation that God supplies a way of escape. You will never, listen, you will never be in, in some kind of situation where you have to sin against God. God says, I will always supply you with a way out. Do you guys know, have you guys ever heard that saying that, that God won't give you more than you can handle? Okay, it's not true. He will give you so much that you can't handle that you will have to rely on him. 
But what I think people get that from is actually from the idea that God will not put you in a temptation that you have to enter into. You will never be so tempted that you have to do it. God will always give you the opportunity to run away. And it will be your choice whether you do it or not, okay? But the other thing is that we are to pursue, not only to flee. It's not that we're to run away from sin aimlessly, right? Like with a, like a chicken with its head cut off. Have you ever seen that? It's quite wild. If you cut off the head of a chicken, it'll still run around and it'll just run around wild and crazy. You, listen, you and I, you and I are to not be like that. We're not just to run around and be like, oh, sin, sin. Oh, this is crazy. No, we are to run away from the youthful lust, sin, temptation, and we are to run towards something else. Ultimately, Jesus, this word pursue, it means to chase and to go after something with intent, right? Not to lollygag, not to be like, oh, like, okay, like, I'll get to it. No, this idea of pursue is something consistent and continual. It's how when, the, when a police officer gets a phone call or gets a radio in that there's a situation and that there's a, you know, that there's an escaped something, prisoner, whatever you want to call it. There's some situation, okay, that the police officer is like, well, let me finish my cup of coffee first. Well, I'm at the taco stand. Like, hold on, let me get, no, no. He jumps in his vehicle and he, and he pursues, right? He gets to the scene. He gets to the situation. Well, you and I are to pursue certain things and we are to, we are to have something to aim for. And I want you to notice in verse 22 that we're giving five things to aim for. Righteousness, sorry, four things. Righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Listen, righteousness, the, the simple way of remembering what righteousness means. Everyone say righteousness. Everyone say right, okay? Think about that. Righteousness is just what is right in the sight of God. I mean, there, there is gonna be cross, cross uh, moments there's going to be crossroads in your life where you're going to either choose to, to do what is right according to God or not. And to pursue righteousness is to not just uh, not do what's wrong, but is actually to do what's right. Faith, love, and peace. And we don't have time to get into them all, but ultimately it's, it's Jesus that we are to pursue him and his ways. 1 Timothy 6.11 says to us, but you, O man of God, Flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. We find that same concept. Listen, everyone listen to me. The Christian is to live their life on the run. You should never be settled and comfortable. If you are, you're in great danger. If you are, if, you, if your guard is down, if, there, if you're not running away from something and run, running towards something else, it doesn't mean that you have to be like all huffing and puffing and, and weird about it. But listen, the enemy of your soul, which you have one, by the way, his name is Satan. His title is Satan. His name is Lucifer. He's our adversary. And the Bible describes that he never sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't take a day off. He doesn't, he's not, he doesn't go to vacation into Hawaii. And just because you stop for a moment, that is, he, he looks for the opportune times. And so our life as a Christian has to constantly be on the run. Now we have victory, but it's a battle, right? The, even does not Paul describe the Christian uh, walk, the Christian walk, he, he says walk, but he also calls it a race, right? It's the idea that we are to be running towards 
the goal and running away from sin. Have you guys ever been to the Golden Gate Bridge? Amazing place. Raise your hand if you've ever been in person. Raise your hand if you've ever been on the bridge. Okay, sweet. So definitely, you know, a, a monument to uh, California and awesome. Uh, it's unfortunate that it leads you into a very cool but crazy city, especially at the moment. But nonetheless, a Golden Gate Bridge. Now, I don't believe it's true. I think it's been debunked. But uh, for a while, there was, a, there was kind of a legend that would go around that the Golden Gate Bridge was constantly being painted, meaning that they would start on one side and begin to paint. And by the time that they finish on the other end, it took so many years that they actually now had to start right over, right as they got done. They're like, okay, let's, let's start again. Now, I don't think that is actually true. I feel like they could figure, especially now in 2021, maybe at one time that was true. Nonetheless, I think it's a picture for you and I. Our life, in a sense, needs to be continually painted. No days off for the Christian. No days off to stop running from sin and running towards righteousness and faith and love and peace. Psalm 63 verse 8 says, My soul follows close behind you. Your right hand upholds me. I like uh, the King James Version. Actually translate this, My soul follows hard after you. I want you to think about your life for a moment. Are you in pursuit of anything? You need to be in pursuit of Jesus ultimately. And fleeing and pursuing, that should be the constant um, standard for our life. So we end with this, uh, and it is the purpose to live. Okay, we saw the picture to see, the practical to do, and finally we see the purpose to live. The purpose to live, and we find this in verses 24, 25, and 26. Let's read it, read it together. You can read along with me in your own mind and heart. It says this, verse 24, And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance, so that they may know the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. God desires to use you. And it's not that he wants to use you uh, because, you know, the, the fountains at the church need cleaning uh, or that, uh, you know, the, the lawn needs mowing. There are those things and you can serve God in that way. And we need God to serve people at church. But think about it. Do you spend the bulk of your life at church or elsewhere? Now you might spend a lot of time at church, but let's say you spend two hours on a Sunday and let's say you come every Wednesday, another couple hours. That's four hours out of how many hours in one week? That's a lot. Okay, listen, the bulk of your time is not spent here. This should just simply be the cherry on top, the refueling, the serving of God's body. But God doesn't just want to use you here at church, though he does. But he desires to use you in your life, in your home, with your friends, with your family, with your neighbors. And... God, listen, how, we're like, well, what does he want to do? He wants to use your life, your example, your voice, your mouth, your tongue as a way to impact and influence people that 
do know Jesus as encouragement, but most importantly, people that don't know Jesus and are on a pathway away from God for eternity. And God wants to use you to stand in the gap. God wants to use you and what you know about him and the relationship that you have with him to draw them to himself. Listen, God, everyone listen, God is in the business of people. Like, oh, what, what, is, what, is, uh, what, is, what does God do? He is all, his business is people. That is his focus. That is, his, that is when you look at the scriptures, the Bible says that his own people are the apple of his eye. The Bible says that God so loved the world God says that his desire is that none shall perish. God right now is doing his focus, his goal is to bring people to him. And listen, you, if you want to serve him, if you want to fulfill the reason that you are existent, you then will as well be in the business of people. Now, there is a growing reality in our culture of introvertedness. There is a growing reality of people thinking that they don't need others to do life with. We as the church must not give into that. There's a lot of isolation that has happened and now is continuing to happen. And it is easier. It's easier in the, in the short term. But God has designed our lives to be next to the lives of other people. And God has desired to use you in the lives of other people. And this is what it, this is what it looks like to follow him. It is to then be his mouthpiece, mouthpiece for the gospel, for the good news. But listen, how we do that, there is to be a certain attitude according to what we just read. There, there is a certain way to do that. Right? We're not just to take the truths of the Bible and shove it down people's throat. Right? We're not to take it and hit people over the head with the Bible. We're not to just say, you know, turn or burn and you just you need to believe in Jesus. There is a certain methodology by which we should conduct ourselves as representatives of God. Okay? And, and we, we find here four characteristics, sorry, five, of, of those who desire to serve God. Um, we find five characteristics here. One is that we're not to be quarrelsome and no, not quarrel, okay? Not like the sea, quarrel as in fighting and arguing verbally. Meaning you should not be known as someone who just loves to throw down and fight with people verbally, 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 right? That, that should not be your MO. That should not be what you are known for. How are you with your words, now, it doesn't mean you're supposed to be soft and back down, but it means that you're not supposed to go and looking like, man, who can I get an argue with, argument with today? I'm gonna give them Jesus and I'm gonna, I'm gonna argue them into heaven. That's not gonna happen. That's not how God works. Second thing is we're to be gentle to all, kind and tender in nature. Okay, it's not that we're to be soft and weak, but we are to be gentle. That as we, as we um, serve God by being invested in the lives of other people, there's got to be a gentleness. God, Jesus said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. And we should be the same. Third thing is able to teach. Okay, this is the ability to instruct someone. Not necessarily that you need to be able to come up here and, and give a 45-minute Bible study, but that you need to take at least the simple truths of Scripture and be able to communicate it to someone else. 
to be able to say, well, this is what John 3.16 says. I don't know a lot of the Bible, but John 3.16 says that God loves the world, which, and you're part of the world, so he loves you. And the Bible says that he gave, he demonstrated, he displayed this love. He gave his son, he sacrificed his son. He came and died. And do, you, do you understand? It, you could take a simple, it could be a simple Bible verse or one that you might know and be able just to instruct at least an ability or a willingness to open your mouth. The fourth thing is being patient, uh, not being you know, upset with people because of their sin, but being patient and leading them to Jesus. And then of course, a humble correction. I mean, being willing to say like, no, that's, that's, that's wrong. It's not what the Bible says. And humility, not, not uh, uh, harshly, but humbly. Do you guys see from this, the, the overall attitude of the servant of the Lord? That's what you and I are to be. Uh, do you guys know uh, Pastor David here, here at the church? Pastor David Axe, he was my junior high pastor. Now he uh, does some other things among uh, young adults. He's the pastor of the young adults ministry. He says this, he says, we are to have gentle hands and firm feet. And I like that. As you and I impact and influence a world that is lost and doesn't know Jesus, we're to have firm feet, right? Planted. You are not going to move me. This is what the Bible says. But in that, as you handle people, as you talk with them, there is this gentleness. And this is what the Bible describes for you and I. Look, what I want you to take notice about those characteristics that we looked at a moment ago, that they, that they all kind of talk about talking with your mouth. Listen, the main way that God wants to use you, of course, your example. And if your example, if you are someone who preaches one thing and doesn't do it, uh, you know, then, then you're a hypocrite and we're to stay away from that, the Bible describes. And God wants to use your example as a Christian, no doubt. But God wants to use your mouth. Everyone open your mouth. All right, close your mouth. All right, open your mouth. Close your mouth. So each of you have the capacity to open your mouth. So it's not about ability, it's about willingness. But this is what the Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now then we are ambassadors, representatives of God, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is our mission. There are people who don't know Jesus. And they're not just going to know because you live a holy life. You got to open your mouth. You got to share the reason for the joy and the peace that you have. You got to share the reason that you get up in the morning. You got to share the reason that you live, which is ultimately the Bible says as a Christian, it's for Jesus. And we're to share it. It doesn't have to be complicated. It'd be the simplicity of Christ, the Bible says. But remember that the only way that we're going to be fit for the master to use us in that way is if we have that continual cleansed life, which comes by that continual confession, fleeing, pursuing, and I'm telling you, as someone who has been used by God in this matter and seeks just wanting to continue to be used by God, there, listen, there's nothing better. There's nothing better. Because for me, as I serve God, and not just here sharing with you guys, but even just in life and the things I do, not perfect by any means, but I have found what satisfies the longing of my soul. 
I have found my life. And the Bible says that unless you are willing to lose your life for Jesus, you will never find it. But if you lose your life for him, you will find it. It's the idea that you will find who you are to be. There's no greater joy than to walk in truth, to walk in love, and be used by God. Think about it. The fact that just simple, simple statements, simple sharing of God's word, it could be a five-minute conversation, can change someone's eternal destination. That you could have the hand, you could have a hand, just a hand. Maybe you just tell someone something very simple, share a Bible verse, pray for someone. You could have a hand in someone's eternal destiny, that you could be in heaven one day when we get there. And who knows? You talk with someone, you meet with someone, you see someone there and they come up and thank you because of your hand in their life. Man, that, that, I look forward to that day. I hope there's just at least a few people I've had an influence in, an impact. And this is what it means to walk with Jesus. This is what it means to, to be uh, a, a Christian. It's not just to sit on the bench, not to be put on the shelf, uh, but to be in the game, to be used by God, fit for the master's use. Let's pray. Father, we come before you and uh, you are so good, so good. You are so gracious. Lord, you have saved us. You have redeemed us. Lord, that we are no longer held captive by our sin and by Satan. Lord, that we are free. And it's been your truth that has set us free. God, would you in our life uh, help us to continue to continue, continue to walk with you Lord, that nothing would get us distracted, that we lay aside all the weights and the sin that so easily ensnares us, that we would flee youthful lust, that we would pursue righteousness and faith and love and peace. And God, we confess our need for you. Lord, we know that we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But ultimately, God, we know it's you who works in us to will and to do for your good pleasure. God, we want to live for you today. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us. Lord, we confess any sin and ask that you would cleanse us. Lord, that you would go before us and that we would be sanctified, useful, fit for your work, and prepared for the good things that you have laid out before us. Lord, we know that we're your workmanship, created in Christ for good works, and you've prepared, even today, even the rest of today, August 29th, there are good things that you've prepared us. Lord, help us not to turn to the right or the left. God, we want to walk straight into those things. And so, God, we, we give you our lives. We give you every moment, not just now, but even as we go home, as we go to school this week, as we're around our family and our friends we pray that you would use us in any way that you see fit. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.